0: Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought again that was thrown into the sea. as we dive into your word, that you would bless our time together. God, as many of us are bringing in different elements of our week into Sunday, maybe even prematurely thinking about the worries and the cares of next week. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon hearts and help us to bind all distractions. Father, that we would give our focus on you and your word at this time. God, would you bless us our service, and would you also bless other church services in Andalusia, Father. God, would you let the word of the Lord be proclaimed throughout this city this morning and be glory brought to your name in and around our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I got set up with the pulpit mic, so we're going to get rid of this one. But let's recap a little bit. That's going to be better suited there instead of me holding it. Let's recap a little bit about where we've been so far in Matthew. And so we began in chapter 12, and now we've reached the end of chapter 13. If you'll remember in chapter 12, Jesus begins some really bold teachings. Now, all of Jesus' teachings are bold. That's for, That's a given. That's for sure. But in Matthew chapter 12, it seems like Jesus hits an extra gear. You begin Matthew chapter 12 talking about the Sabbath. The man is not Lord over the Sabbath, but Lord is Lord over the Sabbath. And he claims that he is that Lord, and he is Lord of the Sabbath. If you remember the message, they were going through the wheat fields, him and his disciples, and they were picking some and eating on the Sabbath. And that really rubbed some people the wrong way. And then Jesus goes on, and he talks about unclean spirits. You remember that one? And he says, hey, if you get the unclean spirit out of your house, watch out, because he might come back and, and bring some of his homeboys with him. Like there might be seven spirits in the house. The unclean spirits, you've got to watch out for that. And then there's a portion of Scripture that we went over a few weeks ago where Jesus was talking about the difficulties with family. He was identifying his own birth family, and he was talking about, hey, my family's in my midst. These people I'm teaching, my disciples are my family. And there was a tension there. Was there equality amongst his birth family and the family he was teaching? Was the family of God even more important than his own family? That was something we wrestled with. And then you come into Matthew chapter 13, and Matthew chapter 13 is best known for its parables. The whole chapter, there are seven parables that Jesus teaches, and they are all about the kingdom of heaven. If you could put an umbrella over Matthew chapter 13, it would be the kingdom of heaven. And we covered three of those parables earlier uh, last week, and today we're covering four of those parables. I don't think it was a coincidence that uh, instead of doing a standalone message, Nathan asked me to just kind of continue on the flow. And I ended up with Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. And I hope that you'll enjoy it too. Let's dive in. Look at the text with me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Stop right there. The kingdom of heaven is like is like treasure. Now, we can get accustomed to reading our Bibles, right? And we can read through Scripture, and we can read through Scripture, and yeah, it's all important. It's the the very words of God. But I think we can do ourselves a great disservice when we pass over or gloss over certain things that is said that bear much weight. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure. Now, if you put treasure in a circle around other treasure, it kind of loses its treasureness now, doesn't it? So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure as opposed to what? We'll read along a little further in the verse, and I think you'll see that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure as opposed to everything else in this world. Everything else is minuscule in comparison to the value and the worth of the kingdom of heaven. Everything else is like chaff that will burn away in the fire. But the kingdom of heaven stands above. It is like treasure. Let's read on. Hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. I was blessed as a young man to have two grandfathers, okay? One of them has passed on into glory. He did so a few years back, and he was well-received in glory, a wonderful man of the Lord. And then I have another grandfather who's still living, who will probably be well-received into glory very soon, a wonderful man of the Lord. And they're two really different guys, actually. And so my granddaddy, Wimberly, who we will now refer to as G-Daddy for the rest of this sermon, okay? G-Daddy, y'all got G-Daddy in your head? He looks about like me, except thinner, and, 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 he, and he laughs just like me. <laughs> that was my G-Daddy's laugh, okay? And G-Daddy was a Methodist minister, okay? Now, you guys have been in church long enough, most of you, to know that ministers, they move around a lot. But Methodist ministers, they move around an awful lot, okay? It's just true. It's part of their deal, okay? They come and they move them to a different place. And so my G-Daddy did that a lot in his life. And what he would do is every time he ended up in a different place, he'd buy a little plot of land. And so he ended up having all this land. When he got old and we were kind of looking at his assets and stuff, he had land in Montgomery. He had land on a golf course in uh, Freeport, Florida. He had some land in Chipley. He had some land in the Mobile area. I mean, he had land everywhere. And that was my G-Daddy. He moved around like that. Now, my other granddad, whose name is John, his name is John Tillman. My name is Jacob John named after John Tillman. If you didn't believe I was from Alabama before, you do now. Jacob John was my name, okay? I was destined to be a farmer. God had other plans. And so my son is named John. My oldest is named John. So it's a very important name. Now, John, his last name is Tillman, and he lives on Tillman Road. Okay? John has never f- journeyed far. He used to work in Enterprise at Fort Rooker. Okay, And I literally think that's the furthest the guy's ever traveled. He's always lived right there on Tillman Road. And his dad had some land there. And, and his dad's dad had some land there. And I'm going to call him Pop, okay, because that's what I call him, Pop. And he's taller and thinner, and he, he always wears a hat like on his head, but it's not actually on his head. Do you guys know this guy? It's a cattle hat because he goes around to the cow sales a lot. So you, do you have G-Daddy in your mind? Okay, Methodist minister, owns land everywhere, moves around a lot. You got John in your mind, he doesn't move around at all. He lives on Tillman Road, and, and he's always been on Tillman Road. G-Daddy, somewhere in the mix, uh, acquired some money, and he was, a, he was a fairly wealthy guy, okay? John Tillman, he's, he's not really that wealthy, and if he is, nobody's going to know it until he dies, okay? And so he's, he's always lived pretty meager, okay? And he's worked hard for everything that he has. And his land means so much to him. If you were to go to my pop, Tillman this afternoon and say, I want to buy all the acreage that you own around Tillman Road, and I'll give you double what it's worth. He'll look at you and he'll say, no, because you cannot buy that land from my pop. Are you guys tracking with me now? You guys have somebody in your family probably. You got some land. There ain't a price tag on it. It reminds me of The Notebook. Y'all ever seen that movie when he builds the house and the guys come giving offers for the houses, and the one guy gives him so much more than what it's worth, and he's like, I'm not letting a crazy person buy my house You get out of here. And he, like, points a shotgun at him, okay? And so that's that's my pop. He ain't selling the land whatsoever. Now, G-Daddy, when he got older, when he was still in his senses, he began to liquidate his assets. And so when I was about 13, I went on a trip with my dad to go look at my G-Daddy's land south of Montgomery, okay? And we were driving up there as a 13-year-old, and we were following G-Daddy. And we're about in Montgomery, and we turn left off the highway that goes from Troy to Montgomery, and there's nothing out there, by the way. There's nothing out there. There's like a little trailer park somewhere in there. Nothing. And so we're going through uh, the country land, and it seems like it's getting to be a really long time since we were on the highway. And we get out of the truck, and we begin to walk around the land, and G-Daddy's like letting himself in through the gate. And we get out on the land, and he's like, this ain't my land. We're in the wrong spot. And so we hop back in the truck and we drive about 30 more minutes, you know, and we're looking for the land and he gets out. Nope, nope, this ain't it either. It's somewhere right around here because the guy never comes and sees his land. He just owns it up there. And so finally we do find his land. And he ends up selling that land not long after because G-Daddy had plenty of money. It was just some extra money that he had and he decided to invest it in land. And so it meant nothing to him, and he could sell it. He didn't value that land. You see the distinction with Pop, Hillman Road? That land is utterly valuable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm afraid that the reason why the Christianity that we live does not seem very valuable to us is because we've never really had to give anything up for it. It's because it has never really required much of us at all, much less everything we have. And much like the illustration with my G-Daddy, it's nothing to him to get rid of it. And he goes in his joy and sells all that he has. The value of the kingdom of God was made clear by this man's ability, maybe even the quickness that he does it, to say, everything I have is put on the altar. Everything I have I'm willing to lose to possess the kingdom of God. And there's a little phrase there. It's apokorus in the Greek, and it means from joy. In his joy he sells all that he owns. Now let's be clear about this parable before we move further in the text this morning. You cannot buy the kingdom of God. There's not a price tag on it and he's not meeting the price to acquire the kingdom of God. That's not exactly what's going on in this parable here. You cannot buy the kingdom of God and you cannot earn the kingdom of God. Acquiring the kingdom of God is all about how bad do you want it? How much do you desire it? What are you willing to do or willing to lose to possess it? Because you see this man, he knew... That even if he lost everything he had, but gained the kingdom of God, that was a happy trade-off. That was a good deal. He'd be joyful about that. Is your heart in the same manner? Is the disposition of your heart in such a way that you were to look at your assets and your possessions and your belongings and your aspirations in life and you were to say... If I lost all of that, but gained the kingdom, that'd be a happy trade-off. That'd be a good deal. In his joy, he says all that he has. Very important in his joy. Very important phrase there. And so there's a brand of Christianity, I think, that, that we see very prevalently in our churches and around and people that we know. Maybe it's us three days out of the week, maybe. And so it's a... It's a miserable kind of dutiful Christianity. Well, I have to do this. I have to be good. I have to get through this life and into eternity. And Christianity was never meant to, and it will never be a religion like that. It is not miserable, and it is not dutiful. Everything, when we acquire a new heart, when God takes our old stony heart of flesh out and gives us a heart that beats for Him, every action that we do is fueled by our joy in God and what He has done and what He has given us. And that can even lead to our sacrifices being joyful sacrifices like this man here. This man found the kingdom of God. He saw it. He pursued it. And he was willing to lose all that he had in order to gain that kingdom. Now, Let's read on again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it very similar to the first pearl, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but in search of fine pearls, that's the only difference. He was in search of fine pearls and found the pearl of great value. Now this was really, really great value. Not like the great value brand at Walmart. Okay. This was a, this is a great value pearl. And he sold all that he had as well. And so those two parables, as we move along, there's four parables. Stay with me, okay? And this is going to help you understand how this whole section connects together. The first two parables are about finding the kingdom, finding the kingdom. And then we transition in verse 47 to understanding the kingdom, finding the kingdom, understanding the kingdom, sharing the kingdom, and missing the kingdom. That's where we're going this morning. Just making sure you're on board with that. Cool, you ready? Okay, we'll do it it fast, I promise. Again, verse 47, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the word for this net is sajine. Everybody say sajine. Look at your neighbor and say sajine. You could even say it country like sageen. And so that is a Greek word, not in that, not pronounced like that. But the literal uh, translation of that word is drag net. And so in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus refer to fishing a whole lot. The disciples were fishermen. They do a lot of fishermen. It's what they do. And Jesus refers to three different ways that you can get your fish, okay? Three different utensils, if you will of fishing. And so he tells Peter at one point to throw his line off the boat. So Peter's got a rod and he's got a line and he's throwing his line off and he's pulling his fish in. Okay. Like many of us are used to. And then there's one scene in the gospels. If you've read your Bible very much, you'll remember this one. The disciples were uh, casting their nets on one side of the boat. You remember they had something called a cast net. Makes sense. They were casting their nets on the side of the boat, and Jesus said, hey, you're not catching any fish. Do it on the other side. Remember that story? And they moved it to the other side, and all of a sudden they couldn't pull it into the boat. It was so heavy. Now, a cast net has these weights on it, and they throw it, about three or four guys, into the ocean, and it pushes the net down, and then they cinch it up and pull it back in, which catches a good amount of fish, okay? But nothing compares to the dragnet, quantity-wise. The dragnet, they got real smart. They tied one end of the net to a boat, and sent it out into the water, some, and they tied the other end of the net to a post for a minute. Okay? And they gathered all of the fish into the dragnet, and it took multiple people, a lot of people doing this, and they come behind and they swoop up all of these fish. Now, you got the tadpole looking things that are swimming around the shore there, but you might have some bass in there too. You never know. Like, you're getting a bunch of different kinds of fish. So pay attention to this parable. There are parables in Scripture where Jesus speaks where they're really hard to interpret. This isn't one of them right here in verse 47 through 50, 52, 50, 50. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Excuse me, let's look again at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And the phrase that he uses at the end of that section is the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's a repetition statement. You'll see that in Matthew 13 all over the place. If you were paying attention last week in the parable that we read last week, Jesus used the same exact words. In that place, it's a fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, note about this net. Every kind of fish is subject to the judgment that Jesus is putting forth in this section of text. I don't care whether you are male or female, boy or girl, white or black or Hispanic. I don't care what gender you happen to uh, claim today. You are subject to the judgment that is coming as the kingdom of God is at hand and moving ever closer. The kingdom of God is like a net. And though invisible at times, it is slowly but surely weaving its way through our lives and moving us closer to the shore. And there are men and women who, like fish, will dart around and jump around in the midst of that net And give themselves the impression that they have freedom. That they do not. There is no freedom. That the judgment of God is coming. The net will be put ashore. And there will be fish of every kind in there. And what container you wind up in is predicated upon verses 44 and 45. Did you see the treasure and did you want the treasure? Did you possess the kingdom of heaven? Do you see the connection between these two parables? He's not just throwing out... Jesus is not Confucius, okay? He doesn't give you a fortune cookie line that doesn't have a strong connection to what He's previously said and what He's about to say. There's no doubt in the text that we've seen in Matthew 13 and in here that we must be honest with ourselves. That there is a literal hell. That there is a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. And if you do not treasure the kingdom of God and treasure Christ Jesus for who he truly is, you will be going there. The kingdom of heaven is like a net weaving its way through our lives and pulling to a closing point. We're going somewhere. Life is not circular We don't go back into the earth and reincarnate as something else after we die. That There is an end in sight, and it is coming close. But Jesus isn't done there. He transitions yet again. He uses these few verses to say, okay, this is the kingdom. Do you understand the kingdom? Do you understand how the kingdom works? That there is separation. That everyone's subject to the judgment. That there is a place in a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. That the kingdom of God is moving somewhere. It's about to culminate. But then he transitions in verse 51 to talk about sharing the kingdom. Now all of this discourse that he's giving right now is to his disciples. Let's be, let's be sure about that. He's talking to his disciples. We'll see in verse 53 where he's no longer talking to them. Verse 51 reads, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, when I looked at these uh, parables, there was one in particular that I looked at. And I have to admit to you, I said, I have no clue what he's talking about right here. What in the world's going on right here? Is it okay for me to admit that? Do you guys admit that sometimes when you're reading your Bible? You're like, wait a second. What's going on here? I was tracking with you. Now you're talking about a scribe and the master of the house. Where are you going with this, okay? I want you to look at that word scribe. It's a very important word. And so a scribe is the word to describe. (laughs) Nobody, nobody. A scribe is the word to describe uh, someone who is very fluent in the Old Testament. This is a religious person. This is a Jew, okay? They know what they're doing. They're involved in writing and teaching. They're up in the synagogue doing their thing. This is a scribe. And Jesus looks at his disciples, whom he has been discipling over the course of some time now. He's teaching them the Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament was Jesus' only Bible. We have to remind ourselves of that, okay? The Old Testament is Jesus' only Bible. He's teaching them the Old Testament. And he says, you guys are like scribes. I have trained you. I've raised you up. You know the Old Testament. But you are actually a level above scribes. Because not only have I given you what is old in the Old Testament, but I'm also, right now, at this very moment, delivering to you the mysteries of the kingdom. So you not only have the Old Testament, but you have what is new as well. You have the mysteries of the kingdom. You have a great treasure that you possess. Will you look at that word in verse 52? Will you think back to verse 44 and say, oh, I think I've seen that word before. Treasure. Every scribe has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure what is new and what is old. I don't know if you guys have the pleasure of knowing John Wallace, but I do. And uh, he's, he's incredible. And I was recently working with John for some now stuff, and I went out to his house, okay? And behind John's house, he has, I don't know. It's like a workshop shed thing, and it's literally got everything you could want in there. I mean, it's like a kid in a candy store if you want to cut something down or burn something up, okay? That's what he's got back there. And I went back there, and I was borrowing some tools from him for Now, and he just opens it. And he says, hey, man, you can have anything you want. I probably won't see it again anyways. I think that was his words to me. But a little quip. But he ended up getting it back. He actually did. So he wrote his name on it. It's all good. But, But he opened it up. And so where we're going with in this verse here is that the master of the house was known for having a storehouse, a shed, if you will, with all of his goods in it. We see this in Scripture several times, uh, thinking most clearly maybe in the book of Malachi. You remember this verse that we quote often, bring your tithes into the storehouse. There is something called a storehouse. And they are to dispense or give out, if they are a benevolent master of the house, uh, where they seem fit, the needs. So people come and they need things. They've run out of food. I'm coming to your storehouse. I'd like to have some grain. Yes, you can come in. You can have all that you want. And so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, when we receive it, is never meant for something for us to hoard for ourselves, okay? Every blessing that you have been blessed with in the heavenly places has been given to you so that you can bless others. And the kingdom of heaven is something not for us to hoard for ourselves, but to share and to give out. And Jesus is saying, I have deposited into you disciples a treasure. Not only do you know the scriptures of the Old Testament, but you know the mysteries of the kingdom. You have knowledge, wealth of knowledge about me, about who I am. And this knowledge, this treasure that you possess is for other people. You are to bring out of your treasure what is new and what is old. So my question to you is, have you found the kingdom of heaven? Do you know it? Do you desire it? Do you love it? Do you understand the importance and the timing of the kingdom of heaven? And are you joyfully sharing the kingdom of heaven? Is your heart in such a way that you have the doors of your storehouse open for others to come in? One of my favorite pastors says that all Christians are called to missions. You're either the one going into the well to do the dirty work, or you're the one holding the rope for the other guy. But at the end of the day, both of your hands have scars on them. The kingdom of heaven is not just for us. We are to bring them out. What is new and what is old? Now, coming to the end of this section, we have a giant transition. Jesus spends 44 through 52 talking about these parables. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden, there's a big shift. Look at verse 53. In seminary, they make you pay attention to those shifts in Scripture. Just say that's a big shift. In 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Oh, it's just the carpenter's son. This is the blue-collar guy. What's he doing in our synagogue teaching like this? How does he know these things? He just works with his hands. This guy don't even have a bachelor's degree. He went to trade school, okay? What's this guy doing? He doesn't know anything. This is just the carpenter's son. This This is Mary's son. She's sitting right over there. This is... Who is this? All of his brothers are here. His sisters are here. We know this guy. Is this not the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary. And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us here as well? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. So I want you to look at that first word, astonished, in verse 54. That's not the first word, but that's the first word I picked up on, astonished. Now astonished, in that way, in the Greek, can be both a good or a bad thing. It's not necessarily like, oh wow, his teachings are so marvelous and so good. But they are blown away by what he is teaching. It is a shock. It catches them off guard. It piques their curiosity. And I want you to know this morning that it is possible for you to be astonished by Jesus, but to never have a relationship with Him. That it is possible for you to have a curiosity about the things that He teaches, about who He is, but to never know Him as both Lord and Savior of your life. It is possible to even have a measure of wonder and fear in regards to who Jesus is and His teaching. But never to submit that fear fully, but never to offer up your life and be willing to trade it all in the instance of getting him. They were astonished and they were offended. Look at verse 57 and 58 with me. They took offense at him, but Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, what what does the word because mean? Anybody? So if this happened, he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. It is a causality statement. And what happens after the word because is why what happened before the word because happened. He did not do mighty works there. Because of their unbelief. Who's unbelief? So he didn't do works there. Why he didn't do works there? Because of their unbelief. Who's he referring to? Look at verse 54. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So Jesus was in the temple. He was in the synagogue teaching in Nazareth. Very close-knit place, much like Heath. Okay, Heath, Alabama. And he's in He's in Nazareth in the temple, and everybody knows everybody. As a matter of fact, they even know who Jesus is. And he describes these people in the synagogue, the ones who gather week after week after week, the religious people, the people who are very familiar with who Jesus is, as unbelievers in verse 58. He did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Whose unbelief? Well, the people in the synagogue. The people that he's teaching. This is a grave danger for the life of the church. And this is a grave danger for you as well. Is that there is an ability, there is a potential for you to gather together week after week after week with other brothers and sisters in your place of worship, yet still be an unbeliever. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. That there are many who sit week after week in our weekly gatherings, and they are very familiar with who Jesus is. They are very familiar with the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, it is right in front of their face, but they miss it. They miss it. There is a contrast drawn in the text here. If you'll look closely, I think you'll see it as well. Between these people who are in the synagogue and their unbelief and the man in verse 44 who found the treasure and in his joy he, saw, he sold all that he had to get that treasure. Now, Jesus may not be talking about the exact same man, but he's talking about the exact same type of man in these parables. If there is a man or a woman who stumbles over the treasure, who sees it, says, this is the treasure of my life. I'm willing to sell all that I have in order to obtain it. This same person longs to understand the kingdom of heaven. Not only do they find the kingdom of heaven, they long to understand it. And so he gives them the understanding. You must know that the kingdom of heaven is coming to a close, that the kingdom of heaven will bring judgment upon everyone. And they also long to share this kingdom, that same type of person. They see the kingdom, they understand the kingdom, they share the kingdom. That's the type of person that Jesus is referring to. In a positive context. And then you have the religious people in the synagogue. One word to describe them. It didn't do mighty works there. He didn't do mighty works there because of their unbelief. There is a contrast between these two. Do you think joy has something to do with that contrast? Do you think the unbelievers in the synagogue had joy? Let's look at both of our our bookends here as we close this morning because I think those are the the two most impactful sets of Scripture this morning. Verse 44 and then back here at the bottom in verse 57 and 58. I plead with you this morning. Do not miss the kingdom of God. Do not miss the kingdom of God. You see, the the funny thing about Jesus and his parables is, is that he tells all these stories about himself. The kingdom of heaven is me. I am the full embodiment of the kingdom of God. That is Jesus Christ. And in their midst, in their synagogue, in their place of worship, they had The very fulfillment of the kingdom of God standing in flesh and bone in front of them and teaching to them. They could reach out and touch them, folks. They could reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Yet they missed him altogether. Do you see the danger in that? Can you take that and put it on our current context? Can you see the danger in our churches of men and women flocking to the weekly gatherings? being in the midst of the preaching of God's word, being in the midst of Christ Jesus himself moving amongst the congregation and the people and they miss it because their eyes are on little trinkets around their life and they are missing the treasure under their feet that they are tripping over. Do you see it? Verse 44. I pray that you have this heart. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Have you seen the treasure the treasure is Christ Jesus Himself. you see the beauty of that? The kingdom of heaven is not a, a place necessarily. It's not a state of mind. It's not a state of consciousness, as some religions might say. It's not somewhere we're really trying to go, okay? The kingdom of heaven is embodied in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And you entering, loving, embracing the kingdom of heaven... Is you accepting the rule and reign of Christ Jesus upon your life. You are placing Him on the throne of your life. That is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see it? As much as I've read this story, I've always wondered about something. Verse 44, in closing here. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found... And my ESV says, covered up. He covered it up. He buried it. Why on earth did he do that? I've already told you that the kingdom of God is not just for him. He's got to share it. Why did he bury it? And then he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can come and purchase this field. And I may be off on this, but I don't think so. The reason why he buried that treasure is because he didn't want anybody else to find it right then. The reason why he buried that treasure is because, who knows, a storm may come through and throw that treasure around. The treasure might not be there when he gets back. He tripped over the treasure. He sees the treasure. And he makes a resolution in his heart that nothing will stand in the way of him possessing that treasure. Nothing. That he will do everything in his power. He will bury it. He will go. He will sell all that he has. And He will come back. He'll do everything in His power to have the kingdom, to have the treasure. Is that your heart this morning? It is God's sovereignty that places the treasure at our feet, by the way. It is the sovereignty of God that you trip upon the treasure and find it. But it is you who must make a resolution in your heart to not let anything stand in the way of you and the treasure and the kingdom. Is that you? I pray that it is. One more takeaway from this text this morning. In verse 57 and verse 58. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we've talked about why he didn't do the mighty works. It was because of their unbelief. We talked about who were the unbelievers. It was the people in the synagogue. Where did the mighty works not happen? Well, verse 57. In his hometown and in his own household. Church people, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Will you let your unbelief hinder The mighty works that God longs to do in your family. There's nothing that indicates that Jesus didn't want to do mighty works there. I believe He did. I believe that God longs to do mighty works in our households. I believe that God longs to do mighty works in our hometowns. But the Word of the Lord, Jesus Himself says, there's there's no mighty works done there because of their unbelief. Are you allowing your own unbelief to hinder the work of God that He longs to do in your children? Are you allowing your own unbelief to hinder the work of God, the mighty work of God that He wants to do in your grandchildren? Let's branch that out a little bit. Are you letting your own unbelief hinder the mighty works of God that He longs to do in Andalusia? And in this community, the kingdom of God is coming like a net drawing to a close. And during this time, He longs to do mighty works. But you have two examples of of where you could be standing. You could be the man finding the treasure in the field, being willing. If you even lose it all and you gain the kingdom... It's a happy trade off. I'll take that deal. Or you could be like the unbelievers in the synagogue. Their unbelief hindered the mighty works of God that he longed to do there. I believe, I believe that God longs to move in this place. I believe that God longs to move in Bethany Baptist Church. I believe that he longs to move in your households. I believe that he longs to move in our community. And we see glimpses of it, do we not? We see pockets of the mighty works of God drawing men and women to conviction and salvation. We see men and women being baptized. We see families being put back together. But where is our belief status in this regard? Are we trusting? Are we serving? Are we wholeheartedly embracing the kingdom of God? Are we choosing Christ Jesus to be our treasure? amongst all the other trinkets around. I pray it isn't so. I pray that we find the kingdom, that we long for understanding of the kingdom, that we share the kingdom, and I pray wholeheartedly that it would be a tragedy, and I pray this doesn't happen, that some of us get so close to the kingdom of God And we just miss it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of individuals, God. God, I pray that in a real practical sense, that you would convict our hearts to see things that we may have to or be called to give up in order to possess the kingdom of God, in order to fully embrace Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God, would you give us faith to relinquish those things? God, would you give us faith to be individuals who are open-handed in regards to you, Father? God, that even if it costs us all that we have, if we get you, if we get the treasure, If we get Christ Jesus, it is a happy trade-off. It is a deal worth making. Father, would you help us analyze our own hearts all the way to the details of our own household and our own hometowns? God, would you help convict those who are in need of their unbelief to be shattered and they need to wholeheartedly embrace the kingdom of God in their life? God, would you help us not to miss the kingdom of God, Christ Jesus, in our midst. We love you. We thank you. Your word is precious, and it is inerrant, Lord. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus.